This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. And it brings to mind, too, about like how, how challenging life is and, and how we're continually trying to find that place we call home. It's, it's interesting to me as a pastor, like anytime those words come out of my lips, like the word home, I just feel like, yeah, that's truth. That's truth. And so much of church is, is this simple idea that it's, it's the art of homecoming, that we're all searching. We're all searching for home in, in many different ways, that it's, it's true in this life, it's true in the next, it's, it's just it's, it's what we do. We sort of have this homing signal, and it pulls us there. And it, it's a beautiful pull, but there's also, you know, to be honest, a little ache to it. Because we know we just haven't quite arrived there yet. And it's so easy, I think, I think in life, again, to, to sort of have idealized visions of what home is. You know, beautiful visions, idealized visions, but beautiful visions like this one by Norman Rockwell, which we all know so well. You know, that, that Thanksgiving dinner. And we're going to have a little fun with this this morning. So, so that's the aspiration. That is, that is the way we actually want Thanksgiving to look. But our question, our warm-up question this morning is this. So take a look at the warm-up question. What is the reality of most of your Thanksgiving meals? So I want you to think about, okay, there's the beauty of Thanksgiving and there's the reality of Thanksgiving. So the beauty of Thanksgiving and the reality of Thanksgiving. And just go ahead, take 60 seconds, text that into me, have a little fun with it, because that's life, right? Life is always this mix. Once I got in so days of prep, and then dinner's over in an hour. Bedlam, 30-plus people. Bloated stomachs and falling asleep to football. Not wanting to eat until halftime. My sister-in-law saying, let's go, dinner is ready. And I'll come back to some other ones later in the service. And I think I think that is so much part of life, right? We... We have this idealized vision of home, and then we have what home actually is, and home actually can be challenging. It's, it's this both and the beauty and the reality. The beauty and the reality. Spirituality is the same thing. There's a beauty to it. I mean, it's, it's a beauty, folks, that sometimes I think can just take our breath away. So incredibly deeply rich and beautiful and meaningful, speaks right to our souls, where we end up crying, we don't even know why. But then there's the reality of it, the challenging parts to it. And it, it's not that the Bible is, is sort of this, this, this tome that's filled with just perfect descriptions of perfect people doing things perfectly. It's not. It's this description of people who really understand the beauty and the reality. Even Christ felt like he wasn't home. This line that is quoted all the time, the son of humanity has nowhere to lay his head. You know, his own sense of that homelessness, his own sense of, of wanting to move home, and how do we find it? Now, when we look at it, I feel like on this journey, we go through a number of different phases, and, and I don't want to treat these as linear, like what I'm going to go over, you know, as you hear these, hear them as you would hear them. I don't know where you are on your journey or whether this line works for you or not, but, it, but I think it offers some beautiful idea of, of what the phases are of spiritual life, like what the seasons might be. And there's seasons we both have in ourselves, and there's seasons where 
where maybe it'll just give us a little bit of insight in terms of what, what our dear friends and family members might be going through, might be facing themselves. So that first phase, first phase, the phase of the settler, the builder. Phase of settler, no man and pilgrim. First phase, the phase of the settler. That's where we really want to construct. That's where we really want to build. That's where, where even the idea of change per se is open to question for us. We want to build things. We want to build institutions. We want to build groups. We want to make something solid. You know, I certainly can remember my, my first job, which was teaching at Pocono Mountain High School, first full-time year-round job teaching at Pocono Mountain High School up in the Poconos. And, you know, teaching up there and feeling like, oh, wow, we gotta, we got to get a job, then we got to get a house, then we got to get a kid, and then it's all done. Finney! That's a settler mentality. It's a construct mentality. It's, it's, it's where the hammer is your tool. What are you going to build? Is it a good phase? Yes. It's absolutely a good, important phase. And then there's also another phase, and, and I don't, again, this is where, like, I don't want to talk about them linearly because sometimes I think these phases come in different orders for different people, but it's the nomad phase. The nomad phase. In the nomad phase, we're kind of wandering, but we're wandering without a point. <laughs> we're not actually trying to get somewhere. We're just wandering, not even quite sure what's up. It's sort of a deconstruct phase in our life. It's where not, not only are we questioning a few things, we're questioning everything. Everything's open for questions. And we're much more interested, I think, in the nomad phase, at least for me, I imagine for you, we're much more interested in kind of really living deeply into the, into the questions, not necessarily looking for the answers per se. We just are in a place where we question everything. You know, for, for me, that was in my 20s. I can just, I remember a number of times, just one time in particular, sitting in a bedroom in my grandpa's house, just like complete nomad mind. You know, not trying to get anywhere, not trying to do anything per se, not trying to build anything, that was for sure. And that's part of life as well. And then we get this other phase, the pilgrim phase. Think of it, settler, nomad, pilgrim. Settler, nomad, pilgrim. The pilgrim is a fascinating, fascinating time. Because that's a phase in our life where we're kind of a both and. We're traveling, we're moving, but we're moving, listen to this word, this is such a good word, and I love good words because they're not only fun to think about, they're fun to actually say. And that's this phrase. A pilgrim is moving with a sanctified purpose. That is a great phrase, a sanctified purpose. So, so, so they have an idea of, of that there's a purpose. There's a searching for meaning, not just experience. That's important. A search for meaning is not just experience. And you notice about people talking about pilgrimage, oftentimes pilgrimages are to ancient sites, like the El Camino, if you're familiar with that. So it kind of has this both-and feel to it, this pilgrim time. And it's a time where we reconstruct. 
And it's a time, folks, fascinating. This is a fascinating part to me, where we're actually able to balance our concept of change. You know, the settler time, change is not a good thing. Nomad time, there's no such thing as bad change. <laughs> and that can become its own racket. And then you get this, this pilgrim time where, where it's, it's change and not. It's where I, I feel like the people in my life who I know who are really good at this pilgrim thing, they're really good at looking at the past and honoring that. Literally, physically, touching base with that. And that could be doing a pilgrimage over in Europe or any number of other places. Literally touching that. And at the same time, continuing to move. Let that sink in. That's a profound place to live in our life. It's not an easy place to live, but it's a profound place to live. Now, obviously, as you look at these folks, it's, it's easy to think like, well, this is the good one, this is the bad one, and this is the worst one. It's not that at all. These, these are just like phases. They're just what we go through in life. This isn't what we choose to do. This is what God is doing. This is part of our life. I guarantee if I surveyed the congregation right now, there'd be a number of people who are like, yep, totally in the nomad place. There'd be other people who are, yep, totally in the pilgrim place. And there'd be other people who would raise their hand and say, yep, I'm in the settler place. So please don't treat it as like there's good and there's bad. No, there, there just is. And this just helps us to, to have a place of compassion. We need settlers, people who are builders. We need nomads. People are going to question a lot of different things. And we also need pilgrims, those people who can remind us that life is a journey and that those, those touch points to what is ancient and true are valuable and can add to our lives and help us to further our journey moving forward. That's a beautiful thing to think about and to hold, I think, in so many different ways. So, so then it begs the question, right? Like, like what, are we, what are we discovering on this journey? Regardless of kind of where we are in that, in that process, and I, again, I feel like it's more of a circle than linear, as, as we go through that, trying to figure out what that sanctified purpose is in our life. I feel like that's really important. Folks, I want to share this with you, and I really want it to ring true. We live in a time, and I'm going to sound like a little bit of a scold here, so my apologies, and I would just want to say, anytime I sound like a scold, it's me scolding myself as well. We live in a time where sometimes I, I think we are too worried about the new experience versus the search for meaning. Going again, to just have the experience versus discovery of meaning. And it's not that that's saying like that, that, it's, that it's bad having experiences. It's not. It's just if life just becomes about the next web page, the, the, next, the next experiential thing, we'll miss this deeper, richer conversation on meaning that I feel like we are so called to have. I was listening to an author, and it was, it was a brilliant little point, and this is so super subtle, I'm not quite sure I get it. Probably some of you will get it more than I do. And she's on the radio, and she was talking about boredom. And she said, the problem in our culture with boredom is that when we're bored, we search for what's entertaining. 
She said, instead, when we're bored, we should serve from our soul with what is interesting. And I think what's interesting is where we start to find meaning. We start to find that sanctified purpose. It's not just about the next bright, shiny experience. It's also got to be about that search for meaning. And that is very much part of what a pilgrimage looks like. So, so I want to talk about this sanctified purpose. And I, I want to come at it uh, from sort of a historical angle, one of my favorite people in history, to talk about how, how he kind of saw it. And I, I feel like it aligns really well with Christian New Church thought, really well with, with how we might choose to live our life. And it's, 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 it's some ideas that come out of World War II. So here's the quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Those who wish to focus on the problem of a Christian ethic, in other words, living a Christian moral life, are faced with an outrageous demand that from the outset they must give up as inappropriate to this topic the very two questions that led them to deal with the ethical problem. Now these, these questions, like it's fascinating he says this. Two questions he questions are, how can I be good, and how can I do, sorry for the typo there, how can I do something good? Instead, they must ask the holy other, completely different question. What is the will of God? This demand, this demand is radical precisely because it predisposes a decision about ultimate reality, that is, a decision of faith. Now, that's a lot. It's like, like, what is that guy talking about? Like, what is that guy talking about? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of you who've watched Nutrislide before, I, I quote him frequently. He was a Lutheran pastor. Uh, he was in the plot to actually kill Hitler. He helped some Jews escape. Um, he would be sort of like a Martin Luther King-ish type figure in Germany. He actually ends up losing his life at the very, very end of the war in Flossenburg concentration camp. And, and, and he saw people all the time, and he said, one of the problems is, and, and this is a really idea, a really important idea, he said, a lot of time we ask the question, what's good here? What we're doing is, is we're not asking the question, we're telling the question, and we're projecting our idea of good on it. Like, here's my personal ego-driven view of what good is. And I'm going to project that out there on everyone else. Simple, silly example, sports. All of us have sports where we know who the good guys are and we know who the bad guys are. That's because we've decided what is good and that we project that out there into the world. Now, you have to remember the time that Hitler was writing. Excuse me, the time that he was writing, which was about Hitler. And... and he saw in, Bonhoeffer saw in German society, he saw how things had totally gone off the rails. Like here, here are a number of people and they're answering what they think is good. They're answering their answer there. They're not necessarily finding that more subtle question of what is the will of God? We are made in God's image and likeness. God is not made in ours. 
that idea of the will of God, that presupposition he talks to, it comes down to this very humble place of God, what would you have me do here? God, what would you have me do here? That question should be followed by a silence. So we really listen to the answer. God, what would you have me do here? It's interesting, with that question, we start to ask that question, what is, what is the will of God? It, it's, it's a tough question. It's a challenging question in many ways. Because it, it gives us peace that I shall be released. It gives us that sense of home. But it also, my experience is most of the time, it also leads to a little uncomfortable ache. <laughs> a little uncomfortable, like, oh, yeah, I get it. A movement a little bit beyond just, just our immediate life. Like, like, when I ask that question, immediately what comes to mind are, are the people in my life I feel like, ah, oh, I just haven't connected with in the way that I should, that I should reach out to. I don't know what it is for you, but I think it's such an incredibly important question. That surrender, that giving to, see, it leads to this this wild thought. I shared this a number of years ago, but I'm going to share it again because I thought it was just fascinating, where, where Bonhoeffer said, those who fall in love with community will kill community. Fascinating, right? And he said, those who fall in love with God and other people will build it. Those who fall in love with community will kill it. Those who fall in love with God and other people will build it. I think he's talking about Nazi Germany there, where, where, the, where the greatest good that everybody came up with was, was this idea of Volk or blood. And that gets questioned. And he questions it. He said, no, what you have to put at the center of it all is love of God and love of other people. That's what will move us forward. So let's dig a little deeper on that, on that will of God. And, and I want to say, like, as, as we dig deeper on discovering the will of God, it's, it's something we discover on the journey. Because the journey is the will of God. Like, as we travel through these different phases, as, as we're pilgrims, even pilgrims in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a phase of life where we're a settler and a pilgrim in a phase of life where we may well not be, we may well just be a nomad, like just holding all that clearly. And I want to read from you a story here. And it's, it's a story about a man. This is Paul who went on all these different pilgrimages. And Paul sort of comes after, after Jesus has been, been crucified, resurrected. He's writing about 60, 70 years after that. And he gets this great news. He finally feels like he gets it. He has this big vision. He says, look, I want to go on this pilgrimage. I want to tell the world. So we are looking at Paul's third journey, the one there that's a little blue, and it's going to end up with him up in Athens, up in Athens there. And that's where this, this story takes place. And this story, I got to show you the picture here, folks, of where he's doing. So he's up in Athens and literally where those guys are standing, that's where this, this picture takes place. And I got to make sure I, I pronounce this right. The Areopagus and the Acropolis. So he's hanging out with a bunch of really smart people, 
They're sitting on these stones. They're having this big conversation. Literally, that is their backdrop, which is pretty cool. And that's where we pick up the story. This is from Acts 17. And the people he was sitting with said, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears as he's talking about Christianity. We want to know what they mean. And then there's this beautiful line in the Bible. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So that makes me smile. I think we all know a few of those people. And then it goes on. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the area of Pegasus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for I walked around and looked carefully at the objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. But what you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. I'm going to tell it to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. Now, again, that's what he's looking at. Temples built by human hands. Not built, not built in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And again, all those things were true of the Acropolis. Those are temples up there. From one person, he made every nation of people, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And, be deter- and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, even though he is not far from each one of us. And this is one of the most beautiful lines of, of Scripture that Paul wrote. For in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, God is everywhere. In him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think about the divine being like gold or silver or stone. Again, folks, don't forget what he's looking at. An image made by our own design and skill. In other words, what's good? Us answering that question. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now, but now, friends, he commands us, people everywhere, to repent. In other words, to rethink. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. He has given proof of this to all men by raising Jesus from the dead. Now, the beautiful part of that, folks, I, I think, is, is it offers all these insights, you know, that, that, that Paul had gotten on his pilgrimage. You know, this is kind of like a, a mini magnum opus. This is him, him sitting with the most learned people of that time. And he's saying, look, this is what the journey will teach you. This is what I've learned about that discovery of God's will. Again, repentance meaning to rethink. Like like we rethink when we start to to change our minds around that. Literally, that's what repentance means, is to change our minds, to change our way of thinking. And I want to go over these insights because I think they're so beautiful. I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found one altar with the inscription to an unknown God. And there he's sort of referencing again Christ. What you worship is something known. I'm going to proclaim to you. A God who does not live in temples built by human hands, who's not served by human hands. That, that, that beautiful part, guys, where he's saying, like, look, you know, you have to realize how revolutionary it was. They, like, they literally thought, like, this is the place where this God hangs out. And we're going to create a building that holds that presence. 
And here he's saying, yeah, God's so much bigger than that. It's interesting. He doesn't say bad or wrong, tear it down, any of that. He's just saying God is bigger than that. God is bigger than that. Gives all life and breath. Made every nation. We talked about that. Like that, that folks, that all nations part. It's a consistent theme. It's a consistent theme in Christianity. That this is a message for all people, for all nations. And here we see Paul reflecting that. Commands all people everywhere to repent. In other words, to rethink. Now he goes on again, next slide, for another set of insights here. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he's not far off from any of us. I love that line. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. In other words, we are the children of God. Here we see, folks, like Paul reaching for these these universal pieces. These weren't Christians he was talking to, and he's not, he's not, you know, he's not out like in this big evangelical fervor. He's he's out to say, like, look, you, you even talk about that you're children of God. That's what I'm talking about. That we're all children of God. That we're all part of this, that we're all to start to search out and ask that question, what is God's will? What is God's will? Now, I want to come over, sit down over here, folks, and just talk about what what might be that answer in terms of what home... Is the light going to be able to follow me? There we go. You know, as as we sit in a new place around home, just just what that could look like. It was was interesting with sermon writing team. Just a a few little pieces with with this particular service. I had had this idea of coming home, thought that was a really important topic, given how challenging these times feel to so many of us. And at the same time, someone else was working in sermon writing team on helping out with some graphics and some themes, and literally I had my folder with coming home, and then he texted me a message, said, Chuck, you ever think about the theme of coming home? (laughs) I said, funny you mentioned that. I actually did. So... That resonance, folks, like, where is it that we find home? Where is it that we find home? And we're talking about it in sermon writing team. Great, amazing group of people. And this is what someone said. And it's a counterintuitive answer. And the more I think about it, the more I think that she was spot on. Home is when we can say, as the light starts to come up in our minds, thy will be done. Thy will be done. I was talking with a, with a dear friend over vacation, and you know, amazing human being. Dear, dear, very close friend. We were talking about, you know, as our, as our kids get older, and all of a sudden there's this realization that they're not exactly jonesing to go on vacation with you anymore. You know, they're they're off doing their own thing. And it can feel a little lonely, like when you're on vacation, you're like, where are my kids? And we were talking about, like, moving through that. And he said, yeah, at any time my mind goes down that rabbit hole, it totally robs me of joy 
in the moment. How beautiful life is. And that the work for them to do right now is their own journey. Their own pilgrimage. Maybe even a little nomad time. Sometimes that includes a swing through where we're having family vacation, and sometimes it doesn't. And if we can just breathe and say, thy will be done. Because God's will is reality. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't parts of reality that are hard, and that doesn't mean that there aren't parts of of reality that are so tragic that it's clear that it's not God's direct reality. It's not God's desire for these horrible things to happen. God's desire is always in the healing that takes place, even amidst all the pain of life. But we start to see it and see thy will be done. There is a God in whom we live, move, and have our being. There is a God in whom we live, move, and have our being. That that environment, that, that place can wrap us like a warm blanket. Thy will be done. And it will call us into certain challenging places. Thy will be done. It will call us to ways to search out, to make a difference out there into the world, to, to try to be a force for healing as best we can. Thy will be done. For some, maybe like Paul, it leads us to places like Athens in the conversation we looked at today. For other people, maybe more local. But it's such a beautiful question, and this is, this is, what, this is what starts to happen, and this is very much how we kind of hold it from a new church perspective. Judgment gives way to pure action. Judgment gives way to pure action. What does that mean? Well, it means when we, when we find that home around, like we literally are sitting in that home of like, Lord, thy will be done, which will obviously bring up the question, like, Lord, what is your will for me here? That will lead us into a very active way of living, not into a deeply judgmental way of living. That's, that's so critically important because it's, it's easy to get all paralyzed. Like, and, and I think about this story, right? Like those guys were really interested sitting on top of a hill talking about big topics. You gotta love them, but come on, guys. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's a time for that. But we want to get to a point where our lives are filled with pure action, driven by our conscience. Driven by a new will. Driven by an intuition that will tell us what to do in that moment. And then, and then we, we have to learn to trust that voice. See, that's, that's why Bonhoeffer talks about, that's why it has to come down to that, that bedrock of faith. We've learned to trust the voice. Knowing that we have to give it a little moment of silence. Again, I, I, don't, I don't trust my immediate voice, like, God, what's your will here? Boom! I, I, I really need to wait a little bit. 
But I think if we can wait, we will be called into that pure action. And, and our life just starts to shaft. Most of my mornings, to be honest, and I was working on it this vacation, starts with my list of complaints for the day. That's judgment. That's not pure action. It's where we need to learn to shift, starting our day with, okay, Lord, what's your will for me today? And rest at peace with that. I'm going to step back over here. As we learn to do that, as we learn to come to that place, that place is deeply powerful because, because folks, like, God, God has things right in front of you to do today. And, and I remember kind of feeling in my life at certain parts, like, oh, I've got to search out all these opportunities. And yeah, there's part of it. There's times where we do have to search out these opportunities. And we also have to be open to what's right in front of us, like asking God, what's your will here today as we're sitting across the table from a loved one? We're moving away from judgment into just pure action. Folks, as we go forward with this week and with this series, you know, remember that there are three phases, settler, nomad, and pilgrim. It's not that one is good and one is bad. But for today, let's just go out of here with a little bit of that pilgrim to us. A little bit of that search, not for what experiences we have today, but for what meaning we can find today. That search for a sanctified purpose. That's able to touch on what is old and what is served and what is good. And at the same time to continue moving because we are definitely moving into thing, in territory we know very little about. But we're moving forward with those deeper parts of our courage, those, those deeper parts of that question in our heart, God, what is your will here today? I love with the way Abraham Joshua Heschel put it. Faith is not the clinging to a shrine, but an endless pilgrimage of the heart. So for today, let's have a little pilgrimage of the heart. See that as part of the art of homecoming. And just today, I'm going to task you to try to do it three times, <laughs> which is just take a breath and just say that prayer. God, what is your will for me here? Amen. What we're going to do now, folks, is we're going to offer a last prayer. I'll say a prayer, and I will say the Lord's Prayer. I'll say the New Church version of the Lord's Prayer. You can just follow along. Again, for those of you who don't know, there's a number of different versions of the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to use the one we use here in the New Church. And then we're going to have our last song, You Can Always Come Home. So please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for your grace, your peace, your kindness. And Lord, help us on our own pilgrimage, on our own journey home, to continue to touch those places, to touch those places that give us strength and meaning. 
as well, Lord, as continuing on with the journey to continue this walk that we call faith. Hear our prayer. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, remind us this week that we are always welcomed home on this journey, and that you, you walk with us. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 